Remembrance Sunday is uh, it's a time when we remember uh, those that have given their lives uh, for the freedom uh, of ourselves and for others. And uh, we're probably very aware, uh, it's a remarkable thing of it being precisely 100 years, uh, almost to the minute, uh, of uh, when that First World War uh, came to an end. And uh, my, my granddad uh, on, my, on my dad's side um, served on a hospital ship uh, in the First World War. Um, he survived. Uh, he, was, he was 24 uh, when uh, that battle came, uh, when that war came to an end. Uh, and on my, my mum's side, my great granddad uh, died in uh, 1915, uh, aged 31. And uh, uh, Dennis Flannery, Corporal Dennis Flannery there. Um, and uh, that's his the second gravestone along, uh, is where he was finally uh, laid to rest. Uh, as a result of that. And uh, we remember the tragedy, uh, the tragic reality of what happened. Remember the dedication of those uh, who fought, uh, who served, uh, and those that gave their lives. And we remember the commitment and uh, the, their sacrifice uh, for others. And as we've already done this morning, as Christians, we regularly remember, we remember the, the death of Jesus, um, who gave his life for our spiritual freedom and even to break through death itself. Uh, so we're very familiar uh, as a people uh, of remembrance and the many aspects of that is, is good to do in life um, because it's, it often it inspires us and it teaches us and we learn from it um, as we see people who have served uh, through history and as uh, people have lived lives well um, before us. And so this morning we're going to continue uh, on this theme of serving and I want to look at a different type of hospital ship um, as we begin this morning, and it's one that uh, Operation Mobilization uh, purchased and launched uh, in the late 70s. They were a Christian mission organization, and this is the ship, the Doulos. Um, it was a ship that uh, traveled the world, uh, bringing knowledge to people, bringing help to people, bringing hope to people, and it, was, uh, it, served, it went into over 600 ports. It visited over 100 countries. In fact, the other day I learned that Ilana, who is one of our first-year RPA students, grew up on the ship and, uh, as her parents uh, served there. I don't know if that is one of her, uh, but a remarkable uh, experience that must have been. Um, the ship welcomed over 22 million people on board, uh, not all at the same time, I have to say, and it sailed the equivalent of uh, 16 times uh, around the world. Uh, and it's, it's miles, or it's nautical miles. It served people's physical needs, uh, emotional needs, relational needs, spiritual needs, and uh, uh, even the, uh, the, the Ghanaian royalty uh, visited uh, on one occasion, uh, so we're told. And uh, doulos is the Greek word uh, for servant uh, or for slave. Um, and in many ways, the ship typifies what the church is meant to be and, and what we're meant to be uh, in our lives uh, and what a servant that ship uh, proved to be. And as for Ilana, who, um, who grew up there, I discovered on the first week of Alpha, she just came along to help with some food and to help with some washing up, that you can take her off the doulos, but you can't take the doulos out of Ilana, um, as many others joyfully served as well. And so she's, she does it with such a smile. But to be a servant is to be a doulos. It is fundamental to our identity um, as people and our call as followers of Jesus. And Mark's gospel is the gospel about the servant king. And right at the heart of it in chapter 10, uh, as Sarah read to us, we have this remarkable statement where he says of himself, for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he goes on in, his, in the Last Supper in the upper room and he says to his, to his disciples that 
that no servant is greater than his master and therefore go uh, and do likewise. And so for the first followers of Jesus, this is absolutely core to who they are as people. It's the, it's the center of their identity, servants of Jesus Christ. Uh, lives centered on serving God's. Not what can Jesus do for me, but what can I do uh, for Jesus? And so I was looking at the opening few words in many of the letters, the epistles in the New Testament, because time and time again we see this. So the very first three words of Romans, this is, if you Google this, you put your verse in and then put interlinear, and it comes up with the Greek. So you don't need some great tome on your, on your desk to do this. You can just do it online. Paulos doulos Christu. Paul, a servant of Christ. Um, likewise, when he writes to Titus, it's Paulos doulos theo. Paul, a servant of God. James, likewise. Literally, it says, James of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, doulos, servant. Uh, Peter, Simeon Petros doulos. First verse of Second Peter, Simon, a servant of Peter. Jude, of Christ, doulos, servant. And uh, Revelation, John says it as well. His servant, John, doulos, right there. If this is like their business card. It is so central to who they are as people that it's the, it's the very next word that comes after their name as they start each of their, their letters. And their teaching continues it. Romans chapter 12, that famous passage where it talks about um, offering our bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. And so serving is worship. You know, 1 Peter 4.10, each one should use whatever gifts they've received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms so that people are touched by that. Someone once said this, said that if worship doesn't lead to service, then we haven't finished worshiping yet. Okay, challenging words. And um, it's important to understand what this word doulos means because it's quite a controversial kind of uh, concept, okay? Because it means a, a bond servant or a slave and um, somebody reporting for duty. And that, when we think about that concept in our culture, um, even through history, it's, it's generally a negative um, uh, one that we have in our minds because we think of a slave as someone who has no choice, someone who's enforced into slavery, someone who is mistreated, abused, maybe trafficked, trapped, no way out, no reward. And we absolutely celebrate the abolition of slavery and we, and we campaign against uh, modern day uh, slavery and trafficking uh, and anything like that. It's, it is a scourge on humanity. And yet, there is this concept that, that we're to be slaves or bond servants uh, within this. Yet even in the ancient world, um, there was, there was uh, a different way in which people were treated. So in Deuteronomy 15 verse 12, we read uh, of people who had servants, and it says to them, this is how you're to treat them. If a fellow Hebrew, a man or a woman, sells themselves to you and serves you six years, in the seventh year, you must let them go free. And don't send them away empty-handed, but supply them liberally. Bless them. And then in verse 16, but if, you, if your servant says to you, I don't want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, then take an awl and push it through their earlobe and they will become your servant for life. So there's a situation where it isn't forced labor. It isn't quite slavery as we know it. This was a commitment to serve out of a choice. Um, and to some degree, perhaps out of relationship. 
And uh, the Old Testament word is this word ebed. And it comes with a connotation of being at the complete disposal of another. I'm just going to pick up three words um, that are in, uh, in Hebrew words that there are. Okay, at the complete disposal of another. I will do what you ask. And I think there are things that we can learn from these words that inform what we understand uh, by service uh, in our own lives. And we see it in Jesus' life. You know, he says, you know, I came to serve, not to be served. I came to literally make my life disposable. Okay, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, I will do your will, Father. I'm at the complete disposal uh, of you, and I will serve humanity uh, in it. Um, he teaches his disciples. He says, whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all at the complete disposal of another. And in the disciples' lives, we see it worked out in their lives. We read of the reality of that experience when Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 6, and he says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. He's literally at the complete disposal of God in his mission. The second word um, that we can read, another Hebrew word that is used, is this word abad, change the vowels. And this has the nuance of to give up our personal rights in order to serve. So, for example, if you uh, served in the fields, there were certain other things you couldn't do. You gave up certain rights. If you were to serve in the temple as a priest, you gave up certain rights. So, for example, the Levites who would serve in the, the tent of meeting, which was the kind of portable worship space, uh, gave up their inheritance. They got no inheritance like all the other tribes. Okay, they gave up that right in order to serve um, in, the, in the temple or in the tent of meeting. Um, and so we learn that servanthood involves sacrificing our rights and staying surrendered to the cause. And again, Jesus is our model in this. He gives up his glory in heaven. Everything that he has a right to, he gives up to come and rescue us. Philippians 2 says this, He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And uh, he gives up his rights to be like God as he comes and lives as a man. He gives us up his right to act like God. He gives up his right to look like God. He gives up his right to be treated like God. And he gives up of all of these rights. Why? So that we have the right to become children of God. What he gives up, suddenly we, we get in a remarkable way. And so then we see his disciples living that one out. And we see Stephen at the end of Acts chapter 7 giving his life um, and surrendering himself uh, uh, because of his faith. We see Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 9 and he starts to talk about the rights of an apostle. And some of these are kind of basic human rights. He says, you know, surely I've got rights to food and drink. Um, and yet he says, there's, there's days when I don't even get that. You know, I've been shipwrecked for, for weeks and we just didn't we eat and we didn't drink. Um, he talks about his rights to take along a spouse uh, with him, like some of the other apostles, um, but he doesn't. He, he talks about his right to not have to earn a living in order to take the gospel across uh, Europe. Um, and all of these are legitimate rights. They are legitimate rights, um, and they should be provided. And yet he says this. He says, we do not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Verse 19, he says, though I am free 
and belong to no man. I make myself a slave to everyone. To the Jew, I become like a Jew to win the Jew. To the Gentile, I become a Gentile to win the Gentile. To the weak, I become weak so that I might save some. And so serving at times will involve giving up our personal rights. You know, for some even today, it might have been your, your right to a lion on a Sunday. I don't know. The third Hebrew word that we come up with, um, that we read of, is this word, sharath. And uh, this has the flavor of being willing to do even the simple things. So just the, the small things that sometimes we might even think they are more menial things uh, in our minds. And yet they're important because they accomplish the overall goal. Ezekiel 44 and verse 11, uh, we read about God's servants on gate duty, uh, having charge of the gates of the temple. It's like the car park stewards of old, isn't it? Okay, people serving on, as doorkeepers, people looking after the utensils, all the little bits and pieces that need looking after. And the attitude here is whatever it takes. Okay, whatever it takes to do what we're trying to do um, uh, as a church or as a, as, a, as a community or whatever that might be, um, whatever it takes, I will get involved. And I have to say that when I get the chance, I love to be on gate duty or whatever the equivalent is because it's, it's one of those first points of contact with people. Um, it, and it's such an important thing to do. You know, they reckon that most people in, in the world make up their mind about a place in the first five or ten seconds, right? So that's, that's the opportunity to, to welcome someone with, with, a, with a genuine, authentic, kind of warm heart, whatever, whether they're in a car or not. And so therefore, that is a, uh, is a crucial part um, of, of serving. You know, even giving out outlook is no small thing. You know, Leah um, just stepped in this morning because there wasn't, didn't seem to be anybody on that. And so she stepped in. And I was thinking it's such an important thing, you know, for a newcomer coming in to give them something in their hand. When they're nervous, they don't know what's going on, they might be sat on their own, they don't know who to talk to, gives them something to hold on to, gives them something to read. It, perhaps it says a little bit about the life of the church. It might even just point them in the right direction for what kids' work is happening or other events they might want to connect with. You know, even that is no small thing. Uh, in what we do. Um, you know, many people uh, will have, have served for years and years at things, and sometimes we're not quite sure, you know, what impact does that really have? Um, and uh, there was, uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that actually. But this, this kind of word sort of has that aspect of kind of uh, whatever it takes, I will do it. But I think it's helpful to understand um, how Jesus models it because he, he's the one who washes the disciples' feet. He just says, there is nothing below me. He's, there is nothing um, that is, I will not humble myself uh, to do and therefore go and do likewise, however menial it might be. There was a guy um, up in Scotland um, at one of the churches up there and his nickname was Nay Bother. That was his nickname. It meant no bother, no trouble. Okay, because whenever you asked him to do something, that was his answer. Ah, nay baller. Could you give so-and-so a lift? Absolutely, nay baller. Or could you give me a hand with something? Oh, yeah, of course, nay baller. You know, that was it. It became his, his nickname. And uh, in the early church, you know, there are people who do all of these kind of things. You know, there, there are those that wait at the tables of the widows so that they've got food. You know, there's Dorcas. I love Dorcas who... Um, who makes clothes for the destitute. You know, it's like she knitted for Israel. You know, she just kept making clothes for people um, so that they had something to wear. You know, there's even the co-workers of Paul I was reading about the other day. And it says that they traveled across Europe to give him his cloak and his scrolls. 
you know, a couple of books and a cloak. And they traveled right across Europe, which I imagine back a day was, was not the exciting summer trip that you, you might think it is today. But it's quite a challenge. And yet they did that uh, for him. And so Peter writes, and he says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Serve others with the strength that God provides. And in chapter 2, verse 16, he writes this amazing paradox in the one verse. He says, live as free men and women, live as servants of God. Live as free men and women, live as servants or slaves or doulos of God. You know, um, but it's worth noting there is a difference between civility and servanthood because we can get too confused. Civility is motivated out of a fear of others. You know, I, I've, what are the consequences if I don't do this? Something terrible might happen to me, therefore I've got to do it. I'm going to be punished if I don't do something. That's civility. Servanthood comes out of fellowship with God. It comes out of a place of grace. It comes out of a place of, of um, gratefulness, and therefore I do something um, for an audience of one, and I'll do it for you, God, because I, I, I love you, because I, I, I want to serve. Um, civility can have the attitude of it's not my job so I'm not doing it whereas servanthood has that attitude of whatever it takes count me in if I can help I will help civility has the mindset of me first my agenda I'll do what I want whereas servanthood actually says father first you know it might not be quite what I was expecting but I'm doing it because I'd put him first in my life civility can operate out of a spirit of pride you know look what I did Whereas servanthood operates out of a spirit of humility. Look what God's done. Or perhaps the spirit of unity. Look what we've together managed to accomplish. And so to live as free people, live as servants of God. And you'll live life well. Some, as I said earlier, may have served for years and years and years. And you think, does it ever happen? I know there are people in teaching professions. There are people who help in Sunday schools with kids. And uh, there was a woman once who, that was exactly what she was thinking. And she said, you know, I've put into the lives of these children every Sunday. I've taught them what I can. I just don't know if anything really goes in. Um, she might have seen them go off the rails later on in their life and thinking, what was the point of that? And then one day a soldier comes to her door. And uh, he's back from the war. And his, his friend has died uh, in the trenches. Um, but he said when he was dying... He made me promise that I'd come and speak to you. He said, because he wanted me to tell you that what he learned as a child under you is helping him to die now. And our words always count. Everything that we do always matters. You know, whether it's something that we give, whether it's a prayer we pray, whether it's a word of encouragement to someone, whether it's uh, just time that we give in sacrifice to someone else. Um, but serving others is at the core of who we are. Uh, we have one of our uh, kind of essential kind of growth track things coming up. It's something that we call Belonging to Riverside. Many of you will be familiar with it. And um, we're doing two evenings. So kind of do it in a fresh way. And this Thursday, we're going to be looking at what, what is the church all about? What is the vision and the values of Riverside? And then the following week, we're going to look at what, what are you all about? What gifts and strengths do you bring? And, uh, and how can you... Uh, find a, a fruitful uh, part to play 
uh, within Riverside as well. So week one is who we are, and then week two will be who you are. And uh, if you've never been, or if you're new to the church in the last year or two years perhaps, uh, I want to invite you to come along and uh, really find out what is it that makes this church tick, and, and, what, and who are you, and how might you find uh, a part to play in that. Um, so belonging to Riverside is part of something we want everybody to have kind of built into their kind of growth track uh, as they move through the church uh, and through life. So again, details in Outlook for that, and you can sign up, or you can let me know, or someone know on the welcome desk um, today. But I can remember the first time, or the first few months when I came to Riverside. This is like nearly th- probably 30 years ago. And for the first few months, I saw it as I was expecting everybody to do for me. So I was expecting someone to welcome me. I expected somebody to come over to speak to me. Um, and that's what we would expect. But after a number of months, I began to realize that actually it wasn't just about that. It wasn't just about me. But that I was to really turn around and look beyond myself um, and start to look outward and start to serve others and start to even welcome others, even though I felt like the newbie um, around here. And... Um, and so Sundays is, is, a, is an amazing way to do that. And even when I came on staff, that is still my primary kind of um, mindset uh, when I come on a Sundays. How can I serve? How can I encourage? How can I do something um, that, that helps and makes this place accessible and welcoming to newcomers uh, and others and as good experience as possible? And so a couple of years ago, I came up with somebody we were having a discussion about it. And I came up with three things that I thought, actually, that's something I can do each week. And the first one was, uh, I wrote down was, what's one wonderful thing about Jesus I can point people to? I thought, that's got to be good. You know, I've got to do that. I can do that. And then what one thing can I do to make this room look a little bit better? Is there a light I can switch on? Is there a, a coffee cup I can pick up? Um, is there, a, is there a, a, mu- a piece of equipment I can help someone with? What will make this room just a little bit um, of a better experience? And then how can I connect someone? How can I help this person find uh, a connection with someone else? Who can I introduce to someone else? Maybe at the end of a service or, or even at the beginning. Just come and sit with so-and-so. Little things that we can do that just serve and help uh, the whole thing. And so as we come to a close, um, I just want to mention there was an article about the Doulos ship, and it was entitled 40 Jobs That Keep the Ship Going. School teacher, plumber, hairdresser, AV tech, baker, all sorts they have on it. Um, and every one of them is absolutely important to the overall mission. And uh, the good ship Doulos could be the good ship Riverside. Um, and likewise, we also have kind of 40 jobs that keep the ship going. Um, and over these weeks, and it may be something that you can think about. Many of you already are involved and, and know what those are. Uh, some of you may be thinking, oh yeah, that's actually something I could step into. Um, and you could start praying about that as well. But today's primarily about our hearts and uh, having that servant-hearted nature. So when we go into our workplace, servant-hearted nature. When we go into our communities, when we even go into our families, you know, it's usually the washing up, isn't it, in our families, um, in our world and in our church. Okay, what does that servant-heartedness look like? And so as a response this morning, I want to, I'm going to encourage us all, you don't have to, but I'm going to encourage us all in a minute to stand up and actually face the doors. Because this is kind of like a metaphor for, for what I kind of felt I did at some point in my life. Is that I turned around and thought, this is not about me. This is about everyone else. It's about the world out there, and it's about everybody who comes in through our doors. And so if you're, if you're up for that, can I kind of encourage us to stand if you're able to. And let's just face the doors where people come.
come in and where we go out into our world uh, this week. And I just want you to imagine as we do that. So imagine we are on the Doulos ship and we're coming into port. We're coming into a country that doesn't yet know God. And imagine hundreds of people on the dockside waiting to see what this ship is all about. And as it docks and as its doors open, a few people begin to venture on to see what it is all about. Some on the ship, some of us go out to invite people on. Some welcome, some strike up a conversation. But all are serving to make this a fantastic day for every single one of them. 